Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, the NFL, it belongs to quarterbacks. They are the faces of the league. Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes get the endorsements. Jake from State Farm. I really want that personal price plan. So I'll admit it. I'm a bath bomb guy. Quarterbacks get the lion's share of the glory and, more importantly, the money. But there was a time when running backs shared that spotlight. For the non-football people, running backs are the ones running with the ball. And running backs had commercials. Hi, I'm Emmett, and I'm a cowboy. This is my hat. Kids used to want to be running backs. Playing in the backyard, they'd copy moves they'd see their heroes use during Sunday night games. The NFL would put out highlight packages of these players dominating the field, basically turning them into gods. They stampede ahead like angry bulls. They dance out of danger's way. Their speed lets them leave the others behind. Their grace is the game's ballet. Teams used to build their entire offense around running backs, and they'd often pay them huge contracts. But the market for running backs has crashed. Just a few years ago, teams would have lined up to hand a star running back under the age of 27 a multi-year deal worth tens of millions of dollars. But two of the best running backs in the game, Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants and Josh Jacobs of the Las Vegas Raiders, weren't given long-term deals this offseason. And post-sports columnist Jerry Brewer says the position that teams used to build around is now being used to cut corners. It's one of those issues where I think we look at the top of it and say the very best aren't getting paid. But you can look at the bottom and just say the ones who deserve to be in the NFL are really, really fighting for their lives, not because they don't have the talent to play in the league, but because the league doesn't want to invest anything more than it has to at that position. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Thursday, August 3rd. Today, the fall of the running back. Jerry Brewer explains why the NFL has found it profitable to let even the most talented running backs go, rather than pay them more. Jerry spoke with my colleague Jeff Edgers, and Jeff is going to take it from here. Let me ask you, when I was growing up, running backs were the glamour position. I mean, I, you know, in New England, where I grew up, Sam Bam Cunningham, right? Uh, Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, we can go down the list. They were highly valued, right? There used to be a time in the NFL when you didn't need an elite quarterback to win. You wanted to have a great defense, and you wanted to have a running back that everyone called a bell cow. If you needed to hand off the ball to him, he was capable of doing that. And you think about Jim Brown 
From the opening kickoff, the Browns surged to a touchdown, with Jimmy Brown crashing over from the seven to give Cleveland a fast advantage. The quintessential running back, athletic, powerful, mean. You think about Walter Payton. His nickname was Sweetness with the Chicago Bears and how dominant he was on one of the greatest football teams ever, the 1985 Chicago Bears. And the list goes on and on. Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, uh, Tony Dorsett, Eric Dickerson, LaDainian Tomlinson, Marshall Falk. Throughout NFL history, when you see great teams and great offenses, historically they've been built around a great running back. That changed at a certain point, right? I mean, all these guys you're mentioning, they're legends, but they're from when we were kids, right, in general. So when did the fortunes start to change for running backs? I think it's been about a a 20-year process as teams have really leaned into the passing game. I mean, quarterbacks are so sophisticated, and I think that as the game has gotten more physical, you see the advent of flag football becoming more popular and a lot more seven-on-seven football, uh, which is predicated upon the pass. Uh, And that's how guys develop now. And so that's filtered up to the NFL. And now that there's been that adjustment and it's exciting and more points are scored, wide receivers stay healthier than running backs. It's just become way more popular if you had to to pick one thing to do, you would rather throw the ball 40 times than hand it off to running backs 40 times. It also feels like they, the fix has been in a little bit. They, they, they changed the rules in ways that made this game a, a quarterback-friendly game. In the, in the olden days, guys like Ken Stabler or you know Steve Grogan, these guys were getting beaten on. And we just watched Tom Brady retire at whatever he is, just by choice. I mean, there's a feeling they can go on forever because they're not going to be touched. Yes, as we've gone on in time, the the rules have changed tremendously to protect the quarterback. And you can barely blow on the quarterback now without it being a penalty. <laughs> and it, it when you, if you go to any football practice, the quarterback wears a different color jersey in practice. Normally it's red. And that means stop, do not hit the quarterback. It almost seems like quarterbacks (laughs) wear red jerseys during games now. But before we totally write off running backs, we have to remember, I mean, the Giants rode Saquon Barkley to the playoffs last year. Clearly, they wouldn't have made it without him. Yet here he is, one of the three high-profile running backs who can't get a long-term NFL deal. So what are teams doing here? There's a human disposability issue in the NFL. Now, practically, you can understand why you wouldn't want to make someone who is going to get hit more than anyone else on the field one of the highest paid players on your team. However, running backs are still tremendously important. You have to have balance. You want to give the ball to the running back because it's a safer play in terms of possible turnovers. It's a lot more likely that you would throw an interception than a running back would fumble in a lot of cases. So they're tremendously important, and they're still great running backs. Saquon Barkley from the New York Giants, Christian McCaffrey, who got traded from the Carolina Panthers to the San Francisco 49ers. So they're still important, but teams are saying, we don't want to pay 10, 12, 15 million dollars a year for a running back. 
And in a lot of cases, they don't want to pay anything when a running back is past the age of 25, 26 years old when they're due a second contract. We see two kinds of collusion with owners. One is where they've actually spoken and made an agreement. And we saw that years ago in baseball. I'm wondering in this case, are we seeing the owners say, hey, we want to keep salaries down. And if we agree in this one area not to make these people marquee players and salary grabs, we'll be able to control things. Is that the sense that they've regulated it that way? I think this is just more of a distribution of assets. They would rather pay a left tackle, a quarterback, a wide receiver, pass rusher, a defensive tackle, a linebacker, more than they would rather pay a running back. The NFL has franchise tags, which when the first time you become a free agent, you're not fully a free agent because your team can franchise tag you, which means they can sign you to a one-year contract that is the average of the top five players at your position. And so there's 11 different categories of franchise tags. Running back now is 10th out of those 11 categories. And running backs are saying, you know what? That's a little bit odd because we carry the ball more than any other offensive weapon not named quarterback. You're willing to pay a wide receiver $30 million a year. A great wide receiver catches the football. He touches it six or seven times. An average running back is going to touch it at least 12 times a game. So um, how are these NFL players reacting when they see Saquon Barkley not getting the big contract? What do they have to say? They're freaking out. They feel like they're going extinct. Uh, I believe Christian McCaffrey from the 49ers said this is criminal. Derrick Henry uh, one of the the great power runners in the NFL from the Tennessee Titans, uh, he's spoken against it. The running backs had a Zoom meeting recently in which they tried to figure out how can we combat this? How can we get our teams to value us more? No concrete answers came out of that meeting. And so they'll continue to talk and continue to try to find leverage. But once again, in a game in which they're taking more abuse than anyone, it's hard for them to find financial leverage when people don't want to pay for a car that gets in 20 wrecks a day. We talk about how much they touch the ball. We also see what kind of physical punishment they're taking. Maybe you can explain that to me, what you see them dealing with compared to players in other positions. Every week you look at the NFL injury report, you're guaranteed to see multiple running backs on that list. If you have an elite player, you're thinking they can be great for a decade. More running backs flame out after four or five years of elite play than, say, tight ends, who also play a physical position, but not to the extent of running backs. If the 330-pound defensive tackle doesn't get you, the 275-pound defensive end may get you. If the 275-pound defensive end doesn't get you, the 250-pound middle linebacker who basically hunts heads as he runs the field might get you. If you can get past all of them, you've still got a 200-something-pound safety coming at you. And quite often, more than anything else on the field, a running back is supposed to break tackles. So he might elude 
several of those, but then they get gang tackled. And most running backs, the standard is don't let one guy tackle you. So you often see in games five and six guys having to come with that force and the running back churning his legs, trying to get that extra inch. And all of that just takes a toll. The stories that you hear about running backs on Sunday night after games and how they can barely move on Monday morning and on Tuesday, how when they go in for treatment, they're not sure they can even play on Sunday. And then they don't practice on Wednesday. They don't practice on Thursday. They finally do something on Friday. And miraculously, on Saturday, they're ready to go for Sunday's game. It just seems like they're always on the razor's edge compared to many other positions. Football is a brutal game, but I would submit that it's most brutal for running backs. Jerry, why is this what you're describing? It makes me not want to. <laughs> it makes me want to be a kicker. But when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking about these guys from the old days, Earl Campbell and John Riggins and Jerome Bettis, and they were carrying the ball more than anybody on the field, and they were taking that beating. Did something change as far as the damage caused to these running backs? I mean, was it are, are the guys on the other side bigger? What is it that makes it so difficult today? Yeah, it's a bigger, faster, stronger sport for sure. I think as we have advanced in being able to diagnose injuries, the more that you know, I think the more that they're held out. You mentioned Earl Campbell. Here goes Earl Campbell. He knocked Robertson on his back. Beautiful. Beautiful. Earl Campbell, one of the great power runners in NFL history. Earl Campbell's 68 years old. If you saw him walk right now, it would bring tears to your eyes. I don't know many running backs that you could see walk down a hall and not say, oh, I know what you did. You are a running back, and you could barely move. Le'Veon Bell, former All-Pro running back, he recently tweeted, it's kind of sad to say this, but it's got to be said. I never thought I would see the day where I'm really trying to persuade a little kid to play a different position other than running back. Now, Jerry, does he even need to persuade that kid anymore? I mean, do kids want to play? I still think the most fundamental thing when you first pick up a football, whether you're playing on the playground uh, with other kids in the neighborhood or or you're just starting to play peewee football, you always think about the person running with the football tucked under his arm and outrunning everyone else. (laughs) And so the game starts there. I mean, even if it's just a quarterback who takes the snap and runs around and, like, beats everyone. And so I think it's just an entry point position. And so people are still going to want to play running back. If you have the option, however, if you've got good hands, if you've got some size to where you could play somewhere else, I think those guys are definitely not going to pick running back. It's very similar to in basketball, especially the NBA, how the center has become obsolete. It's not because there aren't seven-foot people with skills. They're just saying, you know what? I'm seven-foot and I got skills. I'm going to play forward or I'm going to play all around the place. I am not going to play center because you don't value it anymore. After the break, Jeff and Jerry talk about what running backs could do to help themselves now. 
or whether there will even be running backs in the future. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. Jerry, we see these actors and writers striking now on the picket lines. I'm just wondering what this looks like within the NFL. I don't know what the union has to say about this. Is there a picket line for players? What leverage do they actually have in this situation? The NFL is under a new collective bargain agreement that runs through 2030. And so you're not going to be able to get just a wide swath of your membership, you know, the 1,500 plus on your side in order for a strike to really work. I think what they're going to start doing, however, is little things like, you know what, I'm not going to practice. (laughs) I think collectively there are things that they're going to do to try to make some noise. But the movement, so to speak, needs someone bold enough who's really going to sacrifice maybe an entire season to prove their point. However, the last running back who sat out an entire season over a contract grievance was Le'Veon Bell with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Le'Veon Bell wasn't the same player again after that year. People thought that Saquon Barkley might sit out regular season games in order to prove his point. Saquon Barkley decided on the eve of training camp to just get a little bit more money inside a one-year deal and do this all over again next year with the New York Giants. So that tells you right there that players don't see, they haven't come up with a way to protest this. So they're kind of in this no man's land. I mean, it's also, if we're looking at a carve out of some kind, it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you're a tackle and you're getting more money, you're fine with that if the pie's being cut up a little differently. I mean, we're only talking about one position. Yes, that ultimately becomes the problem. I mean, most NFL teams keep three to four running backs. So in a 32-team league, you're talking about 128 players out of more than 1,500 players. And if those guys all decided, or half of those guys decided, I'm going to stand up for this, there's a lot of other people who would love to be in the NFL who could run the football and run themselves into the ground and just be replaced. And that's the way the NFL is looking at it right now. Teams are operating from such a position of power. You know, I I go back to what Le'Veon Bell said, this idea of like, how do you persuade a kid to play running back, right? And, uh, you know, first is when you talk about this physical punishment that this position brings with it, do we even want kids to be playing this position? I have an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old boy. And the seven-year-old is very physical. He knows how to administer punishment. (laughs) There's no way in the world I would have him play running back. No no way in the world. I don't see the value if you look at money versus risk. 
And I think a lot of athletes who have the versatility are going to look at it that way. If you can play receiver or running back, play receiver. You're going to make at least twice as much money and you're going to you're going to be able to make that money longer because you're more likely to have a longer career. If you can play linebacker or running back, everything in the NFL is saying play linebacker. If you can play defensive end or running back, play defensive end. That's exactly what the league is saying. Now, it might take a long time. We're talking this would have to go on the way that it's going for another 20 years. But I do see a day in which the running back, the halfback, the tailback position is so minimized that it morphs into something different. Is there anything that can be done? Is there any motivation to try to tinker with the rules to protect the running backs in some way? Or is it just unfixable because of the nature of the position? From my vantage point, it's the nature of the position. Now, you might be able to to have rules in terms of workload and practice so you don't run guys into the ground with practice reps. And some teams do that naturally already. But if football is going to be football, the guy who gets handed that ball, everyone is going to swarm to try to tackle him. And it's just unfortunate for running backs that they get handed the football behind the line of scrimmage and the entire defense is coming at them. And that's the sad thing about this entire situation, because a lot of people are going to look at it and say, why do I care whether a running back gets $7 million a year, $8 million a year, $10 million a year, $5 million a year? Relative to what professional sports is, however, you, you have to take a step back and you have to say, we're talking about slices of a big lucrative pie in the NFL. And what teams are deciding is that they just don't value someone who does all the hard stuff for them. When you play for 4.3 years and your career and your highest earning power is over at the age of 28 and you can't walk 10 years later, well, that's a lot different from the glamorous life that we're we're presented, basically. Yes, yes, it absolutely is. I'll I'll never forget the story. The, The Washington Commanders had a running back by the name of Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris was a six-round pick. Uh, He led him in rushing the first three years of his career, including 1,600 yards as a rookie. And you saw Alfred Morris as a rookie, and you're like, this guy is going to be like Terrell Davis, who was the running back who won Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos, went from a six-round pick uh, to one of the most memorable people in the NFL. Alfred Morris... By the end of his fourth season in Washington, the commanders were done with him. And then he went on and he was a backup for a couple years with a few teams. And then his career was over. Alfred Morris didn't make any money, hardly. And that's what the game kind of does to you. When, when you're in your early 20s, in your mid-20s, you can be one of the best players in the NFL. And then they just decide, you know what? You gave enough of your body to this. We're done with you. You can be a backup at best. And when your career is over at age 29, 32, if you're lucky, you got to go figure out something else to do. Jerry Brewer is a sports columnist with The Post. He spoke with my colleague, Jeff Edgers. 
That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Gabe O'Connor. It was edited by Monica Campbell, and it was mixed by Sam Baer. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.